Mission Mobilization Chats with Ryan Shaw, Multiplying Mission Mobilization Movements. This podcast is powered by Global Mission Mobilization Initiative. Subscribe, watch, and listen on YouTube today. Find more exciting resources, teachings, and tools for mission mobilization on globalmmi.net. All right. Well, welcome to episode number 25 of our Mission Mobilization Chats podcast, where we consider a variety of cutting-edge topics that are all related to understanding mission mobilization from a broader, holistic, kind of comprehensive uh, type posture or type worldview or type outlook. So we're looking at mobilization across our denominations, church networks, uh, and local ministry. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at the very important concept of truly understanding the gospel message that we have been entrusted with. So we've been entrusted by Jesus to proclaim a message among all the ethnic peoples. And that message he highlights very clearly in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where he says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached among all the ethnic people groups as a witness and then the end will come. So that phrase that we want to look at today is the gospel of the kingdom. So we know globally that billions of people have never experienced this gospel in a culturally relevant way that would allow them to respond to it adequately. Now, maybe they've heard a little bit about Jesus did this or that or whatever, but they've not heard the message clear enough to actually be able to uh, culturally respond to it from the culture that they come from. So many have heard, but it hasn't been communicated in an appropriate approach that led to a real grasp of its uh, significance. And so uh, this is what we want to take a look, a, a little bit of a look at uh, in this episode. So I've learned, I've observed that as I travel internationally, I, uh, I, I often will ask a question. I like to ask believers this question, what is the gospel? And if I ask 20 believers that question, you know what happens? We tend to get 20 different answers of what the gospel is. And so this is a crucial question that we spend some time because Jesus called it the gospel of the kingdom. But I'm not so sure that uh, always our message is consistent with what he meant when he said the gospel of the kingdom. So is our message consistent with the biblical New Testament gospel or is it uh, something entirely different? Maybe not entirely different, but does it have different pieces than what Jesus actually laid before us uh, in the gospels and then that the epistles and the rest of the New Testament uh, reveal to us? So when I hear the gospel talked about, or when I ask this question that I just said, uh, what is the gospel? I tend to hear a hodgepodge of responses that are parts of the gospel, yes, but I rarely hear the biblical whole brought together. And so the reality is that the gospel is often reduced in its scope, and this makes it appear quite vague and even quite unclear. 
And so what I do here is a, is a common thread in the gospel message, and that's an emphasis on eternal salvation. So we want to see lost people saved for eternity going to heaven, pulled out of hell. We want to see that, and we talk a lot about that. However, often the gospel gets actually limited to eternal life alone, and I don't think that's the heartbeat of Scripture. The gospel has a lot more to give to us uh, than eternal life alone. Now, we praise God for the doctrine of eternal life. We're so thankful for that. But the point is that the gospel is much more comprehensive, much more exhaustive, and that it actually covers the fullness of what God intends for all humanity, both in this life and then also, yes, of course, throughout all of eternity. But we forget about the both in this life part, okay, and all uh, of eternity. So it covers the fullness of what God wants to uh, release to us and restore to us in this life and then throughout eternity. Now, when we talk to believers about this, what is the gospel, uh, often some of the responses were, were sometimes a little bit surprised that the message of the gospel doesn't seem to be impacting people as we might have hoped. So we sincerely communicate the gospel message or a portion of the message, and we expect great results from it, right? Obviously, we're people of faith, so we want to see that. And yet often little seems to actually happen. And so what this starts to do is to create unbelief among belief. Well, I, I witnessed like they told me to, but nothing really happened. Okay, so we need to ask a question related to this. Why is nothing happening? Well, I think part of it could be a failure to proclaim and demonstrate the whole message. And that's what we're talking about in this episode. So our failure uh, is often to take those who have come to the Lord, uh, which is a part of the message, and then take them on to spiritual maturity, which is also a part of the gospel message. We often leave that out. So what does that mean? It means that we often see the gospel as bringing people to Jesus, but not taking them on to spiritual maturity in real discipleship. That is a, we've overlooked some major pieces uh, in what Jesus called the gospel of the kingdom because he taught that the gospel, yes, it brings us to, to Jesus and then it gives us uh, purpose and meaning and clarity as to why we live our lives. Okay, and that part is often the part that's overlooked. All right, so Jesus said in that verse we just quoted, uh, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom, all right? So when we look at Jesus' teachings in the gospels, we see that he taught on the subject of the kingdom of God more than any other topic. He actually used the phrase kingdom of God over 100 times, okay? So what does this tell us? It tells us that the, the message of the kingdom was very important to Jesus, Okay, the message of the kingdom was the majority message that he gave all through the Gospels. It's actually staggering if you go and you count the times that he taught about the subject. His parables highlighted it. He had entire uh, preaching discourses that were about elements related to the kingdom of God. All right, so the kingdom was a focus on the mind and in the heart of Jesus and his very gospel was the message of the kingdom. 
And that's what we want to understand in this episode. So as the gospel that we're preaching and proclaiming and and using to witness, is it the same as what Jesus uh, called the gospel of the kingdom? And yes, there are similarities. There are pieces that overlap, but there's also entire segments that we've often left out. All right. So not only for Jesus was the concept of the kingdom of God uh, very often talked about and preached about, but also for the Apostle Paul. Paul's message was chiefly oriented around the focal point of the kingdom of God. All right. So what we need to ask is, since the kingdom was such a focal point of Jesus and Paul's message, is the kingdom then for us also our primary motivation and message among unreached and unengaged people groups? Now, what I've observed in Scripture uh, over many years of study uh, is that it actually provides a five-phrase or phase, five-phase framework for proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Scripture lays this five-phase framework out uh, in order to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. So we have a book here. I don't often uh, share books in these episodes, but this one is directly connected. So this is Proclaiming the Kingdom. The subtitle is A Roadmap for Bearing God's Message Among All Peoples. All right. And this book lays out this five-phase framework for proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is a very, very helpful and important tool that enables uh, small groups, churches, uh, campus ministry organizations, whatever, to really make sure they're going through the whole of the gospel message. And so this book lays it out. So we have the five phases laid out and there's a chapter for each phase. And then each phase includes many subpoints, many, many subpoints that uh, feed into that phase that we need to be teaching unbelievers, bringing them to faith in Jesus, but not leaving them there, then taking them on to spiritual maturity. Those are some of the phases uh, of the gospel of the kingdom. So in the ancient world, this word gospel, many of us are confused by this word. What is that? What is a gospel? Well, it comes from the ancient world. And so in the ancient world, a gospel was an official declaration that was brought to a people by a king or by a ruler. Okay. So when the king wanted to make a declaration, he would send his message and he would actually call it a gospel. Okay, so that's where we get it because Jesus is our king. He is the king of kings and he has the greatest message uh, of all and it's an official declaration. And so that's why our English translators use this word gospel uh, because that's what it connects to. Now, in the ancient world also, a gospel was given very careful respect and very uh, careful attention. You did not ignore, when a king gave an official declaration known as a gospel, you did not ignore this uh, or else you'd be in some serious trouble. All right, so it's the same with us. The gospel is Jesus' official declaration given to all humanity, right? And it needs to be given the most careful respect 
uh, and attention. So the five-fold or the five-phase framework we're talking about, it's a helpful grid I've found. So we're gonna, uh, uh, we're gonna describe phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, phase five. Now again, we can't go into a lot of detail here. That's why we encourage you to get a hold of this book. It's on our website. Uh, look under Ignite Media on our website and you will find uh, this book. It's, you can either uh, purchase it or you can uh, download a free PDF even. So it, it goes in detail over these five different phases from the first phase all the way to the fifth phase. And so it's very helpful to use this grid to communicate the message among all peoples or whoever you are targeting uh, with the gospel of the kingdom. So I found it can be used in local churches. It can be used in campus ministry groups. It can be used in cell group type models. Uh, some of us are familiar with the discovery Bible study model. It, you can use this content in your discovery Bible studies uh, very, very well. This can be used in home groups and accountability groups. The, the, the way that I like to use it and, and that I've seen the most effectiveness is actually on a one-on-one -on -one basis, okay? So, or maybe like one-on-three where you invite some people to study the Word of God together, uh, uh, Muslims and Hindus and Buddha who have never opened the Bible, you invite them, come and study the Bible with me. And this book and the five-phase framework of the kingdom of God, it lays out to you very clearly step-by-step what Bible verses to look at uh, and what to, what to kind of highlight. Now, these five phases, every one of them is very, very important. Uh, each one is crucial, actually, to the overall message of the kingdom. And so it's very helpful to break down the entire message into pieces. That's why we do five phases, right? And even within those phases, many sub-truths and Bible verses that people need to understand when they, especially when they come from a Muslim background or a Buddhist background or a, a Hindu worldview. So they see the world from a certain perspective. And so now we are helping them change that foreign worldview to a worldview that understands uh, the Bible. So each one of these phases and then their sub-truths uh, are very important to the overall message. All right, now let me break down the five phases for you. I'm going to go through them quickly. We're not going to open them up. We're not going to uh, kind of flesh them out very much, each one. We just don't have that kind of time. Again, I encourage you to get a hold uh, of this book because that book or this book really lays out chapter by chapter what each of the five phases is all about. So each of these phases contributes to the complete gospel of the kingdom. Again, you don't want to leave any of them out. And that's what we've tended to do in our evangelism approaches. We've tended to give people a slice of the gospel, but not the whole message. So a little bit to kind of uh, get them excited, but really, yes, enough to come to faith in Jesus, maybe, but not enough to really understand it at a deep level, again, from their religious and even cultural worldview that they come from. So phase one. What's phase one of the gospel of the kingdom? So this says that the kingdom has come near through the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God made king. So in this phase, we need to take them back to actually the beginning of creation, that God created all things, that created, he created humanity, humanity fell into, a sin, into sin. And so the kingdom that God had 
created for all humanity from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were brought into, that kingdom now was shattered by this travesty and the tragedy called sin, the fall uh, of humanity into sin. Okay, and so that made the kingdom, uh, that destroyed the kingdom. All right, so then Jesus later, he comes on the scene to restore that kingdom and he inaugurates that kingdom. And so phase one gives all the background of creation, the fall, uh, and why we even need to be saved. What is it that we need to be saved from? Okay, well, who's our savior? Jesus, he's come, his kingdom has come near and it's through his life and it's through his ministry because he's God. We lay that all of that foundation in phase one. Now, they're not believers yet. Okay? They're just getting the background information that is necessary uh, so that, that we can build on phase one with phase two. What's phase two? Phase two is that human beings now are able to enter this brought near kingdom that Jesus, through his own death and resurrection, has brought near. He is inaugurated. Human beings are able to enter that brought near kingdom by being born again from above. And so in this phase, we go into detail about why we need to be born again, why we need to be saved. What is it that he has done that saves us? And then how do we cooperate with that? Meaning, how do we come into the kingdom of God? How do we receive the love of Jesus? How are we born again from above. That's all in phase two. So a lot of detail there because most unbelievers don't have any clue uh, of what this experience even is that they need to come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They have no idea. They might hear a little bit about Jesus and that he loves them, but that's not enough to understand, well, what do I do with that information? Okay. We need to show them. We need to reveal from the word of God the nature of being born again from above, coming into this brought near kingdom of God. All right. So then after phase two, hopefully, ideally, we've given them all the necessary background. Now they're a born again believer. Okay. We've led them into this experience of being born again from above. So what's phase three, four, and five now? Most people finish with phase two. Most people don't even do phase one where they give the background that is necessary to change the world view of their hearer. They just go right to, oh, Jesus loves you and he died for your sin. Okay, but the person hearing is going, well, who is this Jesus guy? Why does that matter to me? What sin? Uh, I don't even understand any of this. Okay, so we need to give them, again, a lot more information. Now, let me remind us, we're talking mainly about evangelism within the context of people from a very different worldview than you and I, okay? Yes, of course, if we're in our home countries, some of them, depending on where you're from, uh, we can say Jesus loves you and died for your sin, and that's helpful enough because they already are from that worldview. They're from that background, okay? But even that, for many of them, we need to give them more information. We don't want to rely on just those, those small slices because they don't have big picture context to understand how it all works. But most people finish at phase two. Okay, great. They've said the sinner's prayer. All right, now what? Well, phase three. Those entering the kingdom through phase two now receive all the benefits, blessings, and privileges of this new inheritance 
that they've been given. So we need to have phase three so that new believers recognize what this relationship with God means, what it entails, what transactions spiritually have happened now that they are born again. So there are many benefits and blessings and glorious privileges of being a child of God. And that's what we want to tell brand new believers. Not just, okay, go read your Bible. And yes, of course, we want to tell them that. But then we want to show them the depths of this newfound relationship. Okay? So that they can base their walk with Jesus in, in clear understanding. That's the purpose of phase three. But then it doesn't stop there. Okay, yes, we want them to understand who they are in Christ and the blessedness of, of being called a son and daughter of the Most High. But then there's responsibilities in the kingdom as well. And this we hardly ever talk about. I would say phase four and maybe even phase five, we hardly ever touch on in our evangelism. Maybe we hope that along the discipleship route, they get, they get a little bit of this, but that's not, a, that's not a good thing to hope for. Instead, we should deliberately focus in on it so that we teach these new believers. So you don't stop the relationship that you've built with these people once they get born again. No, that's just, that's almost the beginning. Okay, we've walked with them a little bit. Now they're saved. They're, they're born again. Now is where the real work begins of now seeing them discipled well. Okay, so phase number four says citizens of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, are responsible to live according to the ways of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, and the operations of the kingdom, meant to spread this kingdom among all the ethnic peoples throughout the whole world. So phase four is where we really bring in uh, kind of the mobilization message, so to speak. So they might be brand new believers. That's okay. We want them to be integrating an understanding of the, the role that they have in the global kingdom of God, spreading the gospel among all the unreached people groups. This is part of our core identity. This is part of their core identity as brand new believers even. We don't wait until they're, you know, 10 years in the Lord and then start talking to them about the responsibilities of, of spreading the kingdom wherever they go. No, no. We start right away. Born again, we teach them phase three, all the benefits, blessings, and privileges of this newfound relationship. And then phase four, there's responsibilities also. And again, in the book, we detail it point by point by point by point, many, many pages, all with Bible verses highlighting the specific responsibilities that fall under uh, phase number four of the gospel of the kingdom. Now phase five. All right, this is the final phase that we're still, we're teaching them. We're taking them through. This might take years in terms of the time that we're invested in these relationships. Phase five says, the near kingdom in this age will be fully established in the world by a glorious transition to the age to come through the physical and visible return of Christ. Now that was a mouthful, but what it basically is saying is that the kingdom of God is here, yes, but it's also coming. And it's coming in fullness. We have it a little bit here. It's a hidden kingdom, we can say. It's not visible with the eyes, right? 
We can experience it. We come into it. We can feel its presence. We know its power, but it's not in fullness yet on the earth. Okay, That's coming, though, with the second coming of Jesus. The fullness of the kingdom of God as he meant it to be from the foundations of the world and as he even meant it to be when he created the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve, this kingdom in fullness will be restored and that's a key phase that we have to teach believers related to looking forward to the second coming of Christ and what that all means what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ many people are so confused when we talk about end times theology right but it doesn't need to be confusing the bible is actually quite clear and it spells it out all right so we need to teach new believers uh, all of these ideas these five phases and again under each phase there might be 30 sub points 30 sub truths under each one that you want to guide your people in and again that's uh, in the book so what we've learned in this process is that all five of these phases are absolutely necessary you can't skip over one or maybe overemphasize another without developing deficient disciples. Remember at the beginning we said, some people ask, you know, why is the gospel not having more power or effectiveness? You know, I'm, I'm giving the message, Jesus died for your sins, he loves you, and it seems to bounce off people. It doesn't seem to be developing the strong, they're not even coming to Christ, and then definitely not developing this strong kind of uh, disciple okay and that again is because i believe we've reduced the message we've made it vague we've watered it down and we haven't given it the way jesus uh, gave it and when we do that we reduce its power and so we want to release these ones that or we want to reach these ones that god has sent us to uh, but if we're bringing a message that is deficient, you're not going to see true disciples uh, really raised up. Now, this process of these five phases, I mentioned it earlier, it takes time. Okay, the truths of these five phase, phases, they cannot be shared just in a one-time sitting. Sometimes we in our modern generation, we want every, everything quick, right? We want it simplified. We want it easy. So we just want to give the gospel in a one-time sitting. Well, that's not necessarily the biblical way. All right? I understand that. We want to get people saved and into the kingdom. However, to really go deep into these phases, it cannot be rushed. Because again, you're working with people who are coming from very different worldviews uh, than you are. And so we, if we do it that way, just a quick one-time sitting, blah, 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 blah. All right, let's pray. Yeah, that's going to create disciples, if they get saved at all, it's going to create disciples that are malnourished. Okay, they're not healthy, uh, strong disciples. Okay, so these are, these truths, these phases are communicated over time in the context of a trust relationship. Okay, maybe even potentially over many years. Again, when we're serving among unreached peoples, we're developing friendships, we're meeting weekly to study the Bible, to go through the five phases of the kingdom, uh, sub-truth by sub-truth, phase by phase. This could potentially take a long time. And again, we're working with Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. But if they will start to get it over time, they will begin to understand the supremacy of Jesus the supremacy of his work, what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. 
Now, another thing we found with these five phases is that we can divide them in, up into two distinct portions. So there's five phases. We can uh, divide them with the first two in kind of one separate category, we could say, and then the last three. And uh, I think you might have picked up on that if you were listening carefully. The first two bring an unbeliever to the point of coming to faith in Jesus. Okay, the first two are laying the groundwork of what uh, of how to understand the gospel message so that we can culturally, in a culturally relevant way, make this firm, clear decision okay, to follow Jesus. That's the first two. Then the last three are more focused on believers. Okay, they're already, they're believers at this point. Okay, phase three, four, and five are about helping to bring them into maturity. So we can divide them up in this way, two separate yet related categories. And how we can understand that is by looking at the most well-known Great Commission passage, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I'm not going to read it. You can go. Most of us are familiar with that, uh, that passage where Jesus gives his Great Commission. And he gives us actually a step-by-step -step blueprint giving us two primary activities in the Great Commission. Okay, He gives several things to do, but he, uh, he lumps some things together. Okay, and gives us two overarching primary activities that we do in the Great Commission. Those two are discipling and teaching. If we can uh, boil it down, okay, kind of highlight the two activities in a nutshell, it would be discipling and it would be teaching. And these five phases, how we just divided them, the first two, phase one and two, the second two, phase three, four, and five, they connect with these two primary activities that Jesus gave in his great commission of discipling on this side and then teaching on this side. So how do we get that? Well, in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus highlights the first activity. He says, remember, make disciples of all the nations, right? That's our key activity. So that's the first one, discipling. And that connects actually with phase one and two because they're not believers yet. Now, the challenge comes when most of us in our English, how we've understood the word discipleship. Most of us think about it in our church terminology that a disciple is one that has already come to know Jesus, but that's actually not how the New Testament, how Jesus intended it to be understood, okay? So when he uses the word discipling here, he's connecting it actually with phase one and two that we're talking about in our five-phase uh, framework, and he's highlighting the idea that you are actually discipling people a long time before they cross over into the kingdom of God and actually get saved. You're discipling them by doing phase one and two. They're not believers yet. You're helping them come to a point, little bit by little bit, step by step by step, to the crossover point when they actually choose to give their lives to Jesus and to receive the, this kingdom that he's, uh, that he's prepared for them, that he's set before them, all right? So that's what Jesus actually, the terminology used in the original language is when he says disciple all ethnic groups, disciple, make disciples of all the, the nations, all the peoples, well, they're not saved yet, okay? So sometimes we think, Wait a second, you know, discipleship comes after they're saved. And that's our way of understanding it, but that's not the way that he mentioned it or stated it in Matthew chapter 28. So we make disciples in phase one and phase two. Then when we get to phase three, four, and five, 
we're doing the second activity that Matthew 28 highlights, and that's teaching now those who are disciples. Okay, so the first two phases, bringing them into the kingdom, giving them the background information necessary to do so, that could take a couple months. That could take a couple years. We don't know the time. Okay, getting over those old world views and coming into the biblical worldview and understanding what Jesus has done for them. Then we teach them once they're born again. We teach them. That's what Jesus said. That's the second activity uh, there in verse uh, uh, 20, I believe. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So this is phase three, four, and five. They've now come into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, now you must teach them uh, and help them grow in maturity. So he himself, Jesus, gave us these two activities. Discipling on the one side and then teaching on the other side. And these are separated by the new birth. The new birth divides phases one and two and phases three, four, and five. The new birth divides our discipling role and then our teaching role. Now, what we understand discipling to be, and again, in our modern terminology, it's more what the Bible or what Jesus said was teaching. Okay. Now, I understand we use it interchangeably, but we want to get back. What did Jesus mean by the different terms that he said? He said discipleship, discipling ethnic groups into the kingdom, and then teaching them all that I've commanded. This is uh, how we help them grow in spiritual maturity. All right. So again, just as a reminder, uh, 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 an overview, phase one and two of the gospel of the kingdom, they introduce the uh, or they highlight the introductory elements of the kingdom of God so that people have enough background information and they have enough inspiration from the, the words of Jesus that they can now become born again. They can come into the kingdom of God. And then phases three, four and five. They emphasize ongoing growth in spiritual maturity that Jesus intends every believer to be experiencing, every believer to be walking in this kingdom life, not the nominal kind of casual Christianity that we see. So, yeah, I said a sinner's prayer when I was 10 years old, but I'm not really walking with God right now. And they think they're going to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is comprehensive in its outlook. And Jesus wants believers recognizing all the privileges they've been given, yes, and then some of the responsibilities they've been given in phase four. And then understanding that there's a king who's coming back and he sees everything and he's going to reward us openly. It will be a glorious kingdom. We need to give the full message, all five phases uh, of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the five phases together, if we'll give all five phases, they take a human being on the journey of growing into the fullness of what God created them for. So all five phases, uh, you're taking an unbeliever through the phases so that by the time they get to phase five, they're walking in fullness of what God created them to experience. All right. This is why the whole is so important and we cannot leave out phases three, four, and five or else we get deficient disciples. We get disciples that do not understand why they are alive on the planet and they cannot participate in God's inbreaking kingdom because they don't really know anything about it. They're not committed to walking it out. All right. So as I close, I want to just encourage us in these mobilization chats, 
we want to be aware of mobilizing believers and local ministries to rightly grasp the gospel of the kingdom ourselves. Every ministry needs to rightly get it so that they can then accurately communicate it in its fullness to those that we are ministering to. All right. The issue is that many of the people, many of the believers don't know these phases very well. So how can they go and then witness to other people who are unbelievers very well? And so you see a, a cycle that keeps happening of deficiency related to the depth of this glorious message that God has given to us and given to all humanity so that he can see all peoples come to a full knowledge of who he is. And again, that's why we've subtitled this book, Proclaiming the Kingdom, a roadmap for bearing God's message among all the peoples, for bearing the full message, not just a few slices of it. Amen? Let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this message that you've entrusted to the church, the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, we need your help, Father, in communicating this full-fledged message. Lord, forgive us for reducing it. Forgive us for making it vague and really not very understandable for, for people from very different backgrounds and very different worldviews than ourselves. Lord, we need your power and your vision to rightly grasp the gospel of the kingdom and then rightly communicate it to those we are serving amongst. Lord, we're praying for mobilizers to be raising up those, Lord, believers who will be walking in the fullness of this gospel of the kingdom, not just giving little slices of the message. Lord, we need all five phases to see uh, mature, strong, committed, vibrant followers of Jesus. Lord, we ask for that. And we thank you that you've provided all the resources through your death and resurrection for us to walk this out. We glory in you, Christ Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you richly. To listen to more Mission Mobilization Chats, subscribe on YouTube or go to globalmmi.net.